Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or how to think, but discuss why people believe what they do and why it matters. On this journey, we will speak with artists, curators, influencers, and pastors. I'm Aaron Ross. And I'm Ben Gomez. Today on Everyday Theology, we have uh, the esteemed pleasure of having Dr. Rick Waldholm, a good friend of mine who uh, I've gotten to know by going to a conference every year. It's called Society for Pentecostal Studies. Um, he's the guy who I just love kind of coming up to and telling him to go up, ye old bald head. Uh, <laughs> yes. Even, even though he's not bald. <laughs> I received that as uh, receiving the double portion of Elijah. Oh, you, could, yeah, you can have that. it. I'll, I'll let you have it. Uh, he's, if you can't tell by the joke, a uh, professor of Old Testament, mm-hmm. Uh, he is a pastor, he is a professor, he is the person who has the most creative uh, lecture titles I've ever seen. <laughs> I walk into a lecture, and I'm like, uh, babies, do do they go to heaven or hell? Like, what do we do with them <laughs> if they die? And Rick's got, like, crazy, like, beautifully creative titles, like... And and by the way, yes, babies, we're, we're, good, with, we're good with babies going to <laughs> just, heaven. Just to it's clarify, a theological just to discussion, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, today we're going to talk about something that I don't think can be talked about enough, though it's been said, um, and that thing is, what do Christians do with the Old Testament? Do we care? Do we not care? Do we unhitch ourselves from it like maybe a popular pastor has written yeah. to us to do? What do we do with it because it is old and you know hard <laughs> hard to understand not like the new testament's really that right. much younger but right. it's old and hard to understand and and reading it can be tough so if you want to introduce yourself first yeah. before we dive into that topic and uh, then we'll just jump in well your listeners may actually pick up a bit of my northern ish accent mm. uh, i have canadian flavors and uh, i've lived all over the us <laughs> so I, I shift gears my kids make fun of me and depending on where i'm at my accent shifts suddenly um just from from having lived all over the us well, where do you think my accent's from that's a good question. I uh, like doing this sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm going to say Midwestern. Hmm. I'm going to say Midwestern. I like it. Yeah. We'll no, I'm, that. I'm from the deep south. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. just really worked hard. You got saved. I get you. Uh, yeah. I get you. We'll put it that way. Oh, man. Anyways, keep going. Oh, wow. I, this, is, this is a bad podcast. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yeah, if a guest so, has ever insulted our yeah. podcast oh, on boy, the podcast. No, I love this podcast. Oh, it's amazing. It's well, incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm glad to be here, uh, be able to pop in and, and uh, interview with you. Yeah, the uh, so a little bit about myself. Um, I've specialized in Old Testament. I do broadly biblical studies, um, which is which is a bit of a unique thing because I got an awful lot of Old Testament scholar friends that are legit just Old Testament people. Yeah, they may yeah. even be niche like a book or a corpus of the Old Testament. Right. Maybe I just like too many things, so <laughs> uh, I I read widely. Uh, heavily involved as well in trying to read theology, yeah. uh, stay on top of current trends in theology and the movement. Um, um, yeah, deeply interested in those conversations. And so an integrated sort of multidisciplinary approach, yeah. which again is not as traditional. Um, so No, yeah, right. I mean, discipline-wise, for those who don't know, kind of like academia and university, right? Typically, if you're an Old Testament scholar, it's you just are. OT. That's just, there is the one book that you kind uh, of really, or one s- small set of books. Ask me anything about really, Nahum and I'll tell you. Yeah. 
you get to Genesis and I got I got nothing for <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. Uh, um, but so I think we were we were having conversations before, um, and just what are some ways? Uh, wh- well, actually, let's start here. Why do Christians have a hard time with the Old Testament, especially Christians today? And that would lead us to having you know popular big mega church pastor. I mean, I'll say one, not all, but just one who would even say that we just can, we can just unhitch it from our mindset. We don't really need it that much. Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I, I would say um, fairly early on in church history, it became problematic, maybe even post-New Testament canonization. Yeah. Um, so 400s, suddenly you have, yeah, suddenly you have this collection yeah. of texts that we call New Testament that suddenly becomes like, oh, these are the church's texts. Yeah. Despite that the church's texts were actually Israel's texts. Right. That were taken up and reheard in light of Jesus and now in in conversation with uh, these new texts. So, you know, Jesus' Bible was what we call Old Testament. Right. These Old Testament, Paul's Bible. You know, if it's good for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for me. I don't know this song, but I, religion. I love your dance. Yeah, yeah right. That's, that's... I, I got to dance when I sing it. Uh, it. It was the Bible of the early church. Yeah. There was no New Testament. So these folks were, for me, uh, so the, 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 the discovery of this, right? These folks were spirit-filled. Yeah. Yeah. And their scriptures that they read from, that they reflected on, that they preached from, were all what we call Old Testament. They right. didn't call it that. It's just the Word of the Lord. Right. Right. Uh, so with with the sort of maturation and passing of time, uh, you get all these new texts that the church is hearing, stories about Jesus, reflection on Jesus, and what this means for this new community. And that that begins to, in a lot of people's minds, replace their understanding of the Old Testament. So we get a figure in the second century, Marcion, right. who's literally choosing to reject that and try and focus in on Paul's letters right. and versions of Luke's uh, right. gospel tradition and Acts, right? Um, but you, you actually find, it, it's interesting, uh, I think it's like 5th, 6th century, uh, one, of, one of the Catholic missionaries to a Scandinavian region or the northern regions of Europe, uh, he actually chose not to translate certain portions of the Old Testament because he realized it's too difficult for people. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do I make sense out of, you know, uh, <laughs> what what spiritual value is to be gained from uh, David uh, paying a bride price of 54 skins of the Philistines, oh, and instead gosh. he comes back with 100. Take that, Saul. You know, yeah. I'm doubling down here. I just borrowed 104 skins. Like, yeah. what, uh, uh, this. how do we make sense of this? Where right. is Jesus in this, right? Oh, so, and that's the question too, right? It was the question we kind of want to always jump to immediately is where's Jesus in yeah. this, which can seem inauthentic to start, yeah. maybe. And not a bad question per se, but a question that doesn't actually say, why did why did David do that? Right. Just why did David do it? Right. So, so, I, so I mean, if you want, I can actually, you know, we could speak to that, but... Uh, this, the, yeah, I'm okay, yeah. 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 We'll, we'll move on from the foreskin conversation. Right, thanks. That's great. Uh, for all you listeners, please ask your parents what... Oh, oh no. Please don't, please don't. Uh, so here's the deal. Uh, so I, I don't see this as just a contemporary issue. I see this as a church issue throughout the ages. Right. Um, so it comes and goes in cycles for people advocating for particular texts of the Old Testament yeah. and misappropriating them. 
So, you know, we have in our culture wars over the last 20, 30 years, there's been a bunch of debate. There was, you don't hear the same, but about the Ten Commandments on public display. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that was a big issue for people, despite that most were not reading the Ten Commandments in their context. Right. Ancient Near Eastern covenantal language. Right, right. A particular people with a particular deity. And so it's totally stripped of context and well, let's put this on our courts. Let's put this, you know, right. So, uh, you think of the, the puritanical era, uh, there's this sense of trying to bring in, uh, so, so some of our early founders of our nation, not of the nation as a government, but people settling, bringing with them interpretations of the old Testament for how to live. Right. So, uh, how do you deal with someone who's violated particular religious law from Leviticus? Yeah. Well, you put them to death, obviously. Because right. it says uh, because to do it. Because it says right. to do it. So how do we, how do we carry over these death, texts right. that deal with governance yeah. clearly in the Old Testament so that you have groups trying to, to carry that out in the new world? Right. right? Uh, so so I, I don't see it as a new issue. It's a constant issue, always right. an issue. So some of the latest bit, um, uh, and, and people are always... Even if they've not spoken it, they're 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 wrestling with themselves. What value is there in these texts? We call it old. I mean, you even made that comment. Yeah. Why do I need the Old Testament? Right. Well, it's not old in that you know it's been replaced. It's old as in it's the former. It came right. first. Right. Um, it is the Church's Bible. Yeah. It is not um, sort of a forward to the Church's Bible. It is the Church's Bible. Yeah. In these scriptures, we behold the God who has redeemed us in the man Jesus of Nazareth. Right. right? We, we behold Father, Son, and Spirit somehow at work. We only know this through church confession of faith in Jesus, right? Yeah. This Trinitarian confession. So we, we, we automatically don't understand the language old with regard to testament. Yeah. Um, or or you, might, you might have those people that think when it's old... That means that the new has replaced the right. old, so you don't need the old because you've got the same. So we use this like English language right. game to try and explain the Bible. So, oh, that old thing, I don't really need that one because there's a new one, and new clearly means better, right? And replaces the old. So you get this is an interesting conversation now that probably most normal churchgoers don't get in on, but in academia, I'm fighting this all the time. The idea, so there's been a shift to trying to say Hebrew Bible right? for what many folks just call Old Testament. It's labeled right. Old Testament. Uh, I actually don't find that helpful at yeah. all. I actually find it a new problem. It's created now a new problem for the academy, for academics who refer to it yeah. as Hebrew Bible, as if it's another Bible. Right. Um, as if that's even how Jewish peoples would refer to it. They don't refer to it that way. It's Tanakh. It's what is called the law, the Torah, the T of Tanakh. The N is the Nevi'im or the prophets. Yeah. And then it's the writings, the Ketuvim, the K, so Tanakh. And that's just their abbreviation. Yeah. Um, so they, they don't even call it Hebrew Bible. It's not Hebrew Bible. Um, so <laughs> it's, Jewish it's, scriptures would be a better description. But for the church, we would not call it Jewish scriptures because they don't have any... Uh, preferential claim to these being their texts more than we do as church. Right. And this, it, it creates too much of a break between what would be considered old and new Testament. Right. We're better off trying to explain what do we mean by old? What do we mean by new? 
It's not replaced. Right. right. It's not better or worse. It's literally what came first. It's, what has it's, come now? It's almost that we just need to replace the language of, and maybe I'm wrong here, but old and new to just be testament. Yeah, and I think the the reason the reason so we have a word we call it you know Bible. Right. Right. Uh, exactly. This collection yeah. of texts, but in, in some ways to maintain the difference so that we we realize. So you'd asked at the beginning, you know, uh, how do we how do we uh, deal with this in our churches. What's the issue? What's the problem with the Old right. Testament? The biggest problem is we have to sort of transport ourselves through time and space yeah. to the ancient Near East several thousand years ago. Yeah. They speak a different language. They have different ways of thinking about the world, thinking about values, right. what's important, uh, how do you describe things. Um, and the so, language doesn't even say stagnant, right? The language from... From our earliest writings to our later writings, even that Hebrew language has changed just as much as English is going to change in the past 300 years, yeah. and we're going to read something 300 years and go, well, what is that? I can't understand it, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, your, your listeners, if they've wrote something 10 years ago, 20 years ago, they're not going to speak the same as they do now. Right. But literally, if you ask them to sit down and write the same person a letter, if anybody's still doing snail mail, uh, sit down and write a letter like they did 20 years ago for whatever. It's going to be different. It's going to be different language. It's going to be different concepts. It's going to be constructed differently. It's it's the the problem that I'm finding as I am getting older uh, is, you know, YOLO. You know, we used to use that phrase <laughs> yeah, all the YOLO. time. You, you know, only the, live you once. only live once, right? And I was like, oh, okay, that's the trendy thing to say. And then I, I can say it in class now and people give me these blank stares. Yeah. And then I think uh, last... You're not hip anymore. You no. Know, last Sorry last semester, someone said to me... Uh, well, that's the tea. And I was like, that's the tea. And they're like, I was like, what, what are you talking about? Like tea, like you drink yeah. it. He's like, no, no, it, it means gossip. And I was like, what? Like yeah. I, my mind was gone. Did you like, raise what? up your fist and say, get off my lawn? Uh, I, I wish. Know, that's yeah. Grumpy old man. Get like, out of my yeah. class. You know, that's right. never come back here again <laughs> with that language, sir. Um, so, so what would be a helpful mindset? If, if we're saying that those are the kind of unhelpful ways of thinking. Mm. What's a helpful way of thinking about how Christians, especially, you know, a Christian who isn't trained in yeah. the context and the literature and the language and the all the problems that we we kind of come to with our 21st century modern eyes, how how do how does the normal everyday Christian kind of just read pick up the Old Testament and read it? What's the best way? Or what's or how should they or any of that. Yeah, there, there'd be a lot of different things. I have to say, uh, in this day and age, we have more helpful resources than has ever been available to the church, yeah. to the average person. Yeah. Uh, at least, uh, I'm speaking for Eng the English-speaking world. There is more material to help you bridge that distance in time and space and culture and language than has ever been available. Uh, oftentimes, folks aren't aware it's there. Or don't know how to use it, right? Um, so that that can create other other boundaries, but it's there. So the the possibility of listeners being able to find things or find helps, whether that's uh, things as simple as Bible dictionaries, uh, whether that's things like commentaries, um, that there are a number of scholars who uh, write online, yeah, uh, exhaustively, trying to deal with issues at a at even a popular level, but tough issues. Um, I, I'm grateful for a lot of those uh, those types of works being produced over the last number of years. Um, I think of like the Bible Project. Yeah. 
I'm a huge fan. If you guys listen, hit me up, you know, uh, <laughs> huge fan of the bio project because they are taking serious academic study and putting it into a means in a way that is bridging that gap, right? That bridging that 3000 year right. gap to say, here is maybe what you probably have never thought about when you're reading the book of Jonah. Right. Right. Here's, here, here's maybe what it's actually trying to do when it's really, uh, originally written. Because think about Jonah, and, and if you speak to this at all, you know, you think about that, that book, and we pick and choose hard how we read it, mm. right? And it's, it's a story. It's a story that I grew up learning on the felt board in Sunday right. school, right? With the fit, well, usually it was you a You loved whale, it when the little right? Jonah got pushed inside the felt fish. Oh, yeah. right, yeah. That's awesome. And, and, uh, Wait till the teacher turns like, her back. And... This, is, this is crazy. I can't believe the fish ate the person, right? Like, yeah. it, was, it was incredible. But no one ever dealt with me the fact that Jonah ends this letter with not a good look. Yeah. Right. Jonah is. It ends with a question. It ends with a question. Should I not care about these many peoples and even the animals, even the animals of the city? Which is insane. Yeah. Because we're not given the answer. No. Yeah. Like if you read that, you end with a question and you just kind of go, what do I do with this? Yeah. It's a beautiful and horrifying tale. It, it, it's, 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 (laughs) no pun. It's the, oh gosh. It's the, uh, it's the inception. Uh, movie of the Bible, right? Like, yeah, yeah. The, and now, new listeners, uh, younger listeners, are like Inception. What? What's, what's what is Inception? that? Yeah. yeah. Yes. My you've movie reference are getting really bad. Yeah. Um, but what do you what do you do with that? What would you say, like, you know, in in maybe just like using Jonah as a as a guide yeah. here to oh, reading, that's like, what when someone approaches it, what are you kind of thinking about? Yeah. So uh, I'll be honest. So one of one of our issues in the way that we read the Bible or have often read the Bible, we tend to look for ourselves. Yeah. So we imagine ourselves usually as a good character or the main character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even if we're none of those and it's not for us. So that, that becomes our first difficulty. So how do we, how do we get better at that? Uh, the main character of scripture is always the God of Israel. Yeah. He's always there. And how is he revealing himself? Who is this God? What is he like? What has he done? Right. Um, with the book of Jonah, which is actually what that book is about. I, I uh, In teaching preaching classes, I always required one of the sermons was uh, preaching Jonah, the fourth chapter. Hmm. So I walked them through the first three chapters, all the stuff they're used to. And then we get to yeah. chapter four. And I'm like, okay, what do we do with this? How would you preach this? And um, I loved it because in the evaluation after, I would talk them through like, well, what are we looking for and trying to feel this out? Some students would offer the same sort of stories, you know, oh, this is a story about missions, or this is a a story, you know, unreached people groups, or this is a story about the call, you know, like, no, no, this is first and foremost, a story about the God of Israel, who is in fact concerned about the nations. Yeah. He is, in the words of Jonah, Jonah says, I knew what kind of God you were, gracious and compassionate abounding in love, slow to anger, quick to forgive. That's why I didn't want to preach, because I knew you'd have mercy on these people. I know the good God you are and how you just right. you just want right. to save people. You want to make people's life actually better. You want right. to preserve. And so he's like, I, I don't want that. Right, right. Jonah's not a great prophet in that no, way. No, right? not at he all. Is... He doesn't show up that positively in Kings either when he gets mentioned. Yeah, he's he's not very loving in his own, yeah. his own right. And, and, I, and I love that. Because I think that, like, 
like what you said, we often try to put ourselves, we often try to pair ourselves as the character. So we want to pair ourselves to Jonah. So mm, we like to just right. kind of read it and go, oh, where have I run from where God has told me mm-hmm. to go? Yeah. And oh, uh, how is God like, maybe it's not an actual fish, but maybe it was that my tire blew because mm-hmm. I didn't go to where I was supposed to go and now I have to go there. And we, we constantly want to do that. All the while, maybe the meaning is actually kind of more hitting us in the face of mm-hmm. going like, the God who loves is mm-hmm. asking you to love. Yeah, yeah. So that what you get is a bunch of pagan sailors who have offered sacrifices to their own gods prior to throwing Jonah overboard. Yeah. Uh, they give glory to the God of Israel by the end of the story. Jonah just throws himself, has himself thrown into the sea. Yeah. Uh, what you get is an unrighteous pagan king of Nineveh and all of his people, even the animals, the babies, everybody wearing sackcloth. I'm just imagining like babies in their little scratchy onesies, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and everybody's baby. got a fast. So I'm imagining like all the cats and dogs and the cows like living in cattle country. Yeah. Uh, cows will moan normally, right. like make loud sounds. If you don't feed them for days, they're committed that this God, who shouldn't have power over them, right. they worship other gods, right. they belong to other gods. This God of this people that they are more powerful than has somehow sent them a message, I'm going to destroy you, and they are cut to the heart by the Spirit of God so that they they can see no way around this but to call on him. Maybe he'll have mercy on us. Maybe he won't destroy us. He shouldn't have any power. I mean, Israel... Israel's a weak nation right. by comparison. And which is why Jonah doesn't want to go, right? Yeah, it yeah, should be indicative of their God. Their God must be weak. But that's not how they hear it. Right. Um, so Jonah fails to be like his God. But the book of Jonah, for me, it's not about trying to you know, historically prove or disprove a fish being able to swallow a person, someone to survive right, in it. Right. It's, it's not about trying to find, what kind of worm was this that ate this type of plant? What kind of plant was this that grew up it's about the kind of God right. who cared enough to prepare a fish, to prepare the sea, to prepare this plant, this worm, to send a prophet. He, he doesn't leave himself without a witness, even among those who don't belong to him as his people. Right. So let me ask a question, too, because I think that's good. But then we have to deal with the really hard question, yeah. right, which you may or may not know I'm about to ask. I'm sure you do, right? What do we do with the fact that this loving God that Jonah mm-hmm. declares as loving is also the God that's saying, I'm going to wipe them out and destroy yeah, them yeah. and completely blow them up if they don't change? And then, especially for a modern reader who's reading that kind of text, they're starting to get the picture of, well, who is God? Well, yeah. apparently God, like five-year-old Aaron would think, was... You know, I somehow had this like mashup of God and Zeus that like anytime <laughs> I did something wrong, I'd get struck Send by lightning, lightning, right? Yeah. So, w- how do you read that then as a modern, modern reader and going, well, what is it really trying to say about God? Yeah. Um, wh- I mean, you, you and that's a huge to, question. Yeah, I know that's a, that's a massive, massive this question. This is somewhat so just understanding the cultural context, the historical cultural context. We have a people group that are, you know, they, they are living like they're gods. Yeah. Their gods get wasted every night. They get drunk. I have some texts hanging on my walls of uh, hymns of praise to ancient Near Eastern gods where they're having drinking parties and they're slipping in their vomit on their way home. They need other gods to give them an arm so they can be carried home. Yeah, These are the hymns of praise to to Canaanite and to ancient Near Eastern gods. This is the kind of stuff they do, right? So the people of Nineveh act like they're gods. Right. 
they treat each other with violence. They are self-consumed. Right. They are sexually free. Uh, they they do not care about the weak, the powerless, the foreigner, the stranger, the right. elderly. They don't care about that. Right, right. Uh, everything is for me, for me, the gods, right? So it's very self-consumed. So the Lord says in, in, uh, in um, Jonah, I have heard their cries. It says this right at the beginning. I've heard yeah. their cries. I've come down to see, and I'm going to do something about it. Whose cries has he heard? Hmm. He's heard the cries of the oppressed. Right. The weak, the powerless, the foreigner, the stranger, the elderly, the women, the children. He, he has the animals. This culture committed to self-destruction. Hmm. And it is as if he's going to meet their self-destruction with a quick end. Yeah. There will be no long delayed destruction, but he will give them over to the very thing that they've given themselves to. But that's not in his heart to do. Right. And that's where Jonah understands, like, that's why right, you're sending right. me. So th- there's this interesting little little language that happens um, where the Lord says, according to the narrator, the Lord says that he repented, or he, he tells us, sorry, the narrator s- describes the Lord as repenting of the evil he was going to do to Nineveh. Which is really hard. To, really hard. Yeah. The Lord is going to do evil. Yeah, some of our translations soften that. Like he was, he was going to mess them up, you know, or he yeah. was going to do bad to them, or he was going to bring calamity or something. The Lord was going to do ra evil. He was he was going to do that, but he repents. He turns away from what he was going to do. Which I think we have to you know kind of answer that word. What is repent? Right, the yeah. turning of one's mind. Like it, it it's we make it super spiritual. Super spiritual. In, it's in you're not doing what you were going to do. Right, you've you've changed your mind on yeah. something, which is another one of those questions yeah. we could ask later. But uh, sorry, keep going. Yeah. So it, it is that his plan had always been to redeem. Yeah, it's always been his plan because that's the God he is, right? And, and that that language that Jonah uses to describe the God of Israel is taken right out of Exodus. It's taken out of the covenant, right? This is the kind of God he is: gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, quick to forgive. Jonah's quoting from Torah, from the covenant. Yeah, uh, this is if you want to know what the God of the Old Testament is, this is what he is. He's not vengeful. Yeah. Uh, he, he is a consuming fire, but that's because he's passionate about the goodness that he desires for people, even that supposedly aren't his own, Nineveh. Right. They're claimed by other gods. They claim other gods. He says, I care about them. Yeah. They're destroying themselves. I, I will bring a quick end to that, but that's not actually my heart. My heart is to save them. Which, which brings me to something that I think, you know, I mean, we, we can talk about uh, the New Testament and proclamations that God desires that none should perish. And we can go there and be like, oh, yeah, God desires that none should perish, right? It's so wonderful. But I think what we don't get in the New Testament is that story, mm. right? We don't get the story of this moment of... We, we have the whole Gentile thing, mm. but we don't get the story of a drunken people out... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... Like self-consumed, this yeah. one country that was actually the country, the people group, that was against the people of God, mm-hmm. that were even out to harm the people of God, quote unquote, right? The Israelites. Yeah. We don't get that story in the New Testament. Yeah, we, we get we get declarations: God desires that none should perish. Yeah. We get the Holy Spirit falling on Gentile people, but we don't get the story of the person uh, going to the other group who is the enemy mm. and saying. God desires good for you as well. Yeah, yeah. 
and and I would be amiss, I think, if we just lost that. Well, so so if I could, if so if I, can I push back on that? Oh, yeah, 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 of course. So I'm I'm thinking, you know, uh, Jesus's disciples are a little bit ticked because there's a couple of towns that aren't welcoming them. They oh, that's true. Right? This message. Yeah, yeah. They're they're thinking, ah, these the stories of Elijah. He called down fire from yeah, heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it, Lord. Right. You're like Elijah. You come in the power of the the Holy Spirit. Like, yes, let's get them. Jesus is like, that's not the way we're doing things, guys. Right. That's, that's right. not the way we're doing things. Um, and that addresses a little bit of what we're talking about. I think, uh, you know, th- this is why for me the revelation is always there as well. It becomes a good taking up of many of those themes and voices that are difficult in the Old Testament. We hear those again very uh, very repeatedly in the Revelation, yeah. um, this sense of a people who persist in rejecting, though they declare the wrath of the Lamb is being poured out on us, they turn again to their idols. Yeah. They turn to worship the very things which wreak destruction on them, like Revelation 9, these weird locusty like creatures, much like Joel's prophetic vision uh, yeah. is his word, that are tormenting them for five months, and then these weird this weird hundred million cavalry that you talk know, about snake a tails and tough for the yeah, church. Right. Yeah. yeah. But the sense of throughout the book of the revelation, you have constant witness. The book is all about faithful witness so that you have a people who are persecuted, put to death, rejected by the, by the world yeah. who persist in faithful witness to the lamb who offers a counter life, a counter kingdom right. that will win the day against all the kingdoms of this world. So they persist in that. By, saying by the, the lamb destruction that was slain, right? Yeah. Like not by the warrior king, yeah. but the lamb that was slain. And they speak of the destruction right. of these people, but they offer them the hope of salvation. Yeah. And, and even the angels take part in this. So this is like a, a, a divine, human, whatever, uh, play that's, right. that's playing out here. So you have angels or eagles, depending on you know which textual tradition, flying through the heavens, declaring the everlasting gospel. Yeah. Um, so, Yeah. Yeah, and I think what I meant by saying, like, oh, we'd be amiss to lose it, mm-hmm. is that I think that this story is pretty pivotal, pivotal mm-hmm. right? Especially even in the Old Testament, right? There's there's always mm-hmm. these, like, kind of glimpses, but it's like the first time we get, like, this almost, like, massive, just, it's just the one focus, mm-hmm. right? It's just the one focus of this is a people group mm-hmm. against the people of God for whom God loves. Yeah, yeah. And this is this this is the story of that, of, yeah. of that redemption that that I think when we when we read like you said earlier on to kind of go back because we put ourselves into Jonah's shoes we miss such an important story that actually mm. if we read that well today the way that we enact and engage with the world would be drastically changed yeah it's not even just are you doing missions work? Yeah, it's not that. Yeah. Right? Because that's not really Mm-mm. what the book is about. Mm-mm. The book is so much more, like you've explained. Yeah. It's about reflecting the reign of this God over all peoples, even those who believe that they have other kings and other gods. Right. And the desire for God for their goodness. Yeah, yeah. Right? And 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 that's beautiful, and it's helpful, and when you read it in its context and you actually pay attention to some of those, like, difficult text. Like sometimes it's the really difficult ones, mm-hmm. like God yes. repenting, like the Lord repenting. Um, again, not as some I'm repenting of sin, but right. that I'm changing my mind about how I'm going to engage. Um, we find beauty. We mm. find like, we actually find God in those moments. Yeah. 
um, that we miss when we kind of, and I love Paul, right? I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. my study, as you know, is theology primarily, and a lot of it can be Pauline theology, but we miss when we just get short statements. Mm-hmm. This, yes. is this, this is this, this is this, this is this, this is this. And and we miss it when we don't have that narrative that we find very often in the Old Testament. Um, and a narrative that doesn't necessarily beg us to be a character, mm-hmm. right? but a narrative that actually sees what's happening to both the character and yeah. also the main character being the yeah. God of Israel. Yeah. This right? is a revelation of this God. Yeah. So you asked earlier, uh, how do we best read it to me? as revelation of this God. Who is he? What is this God like? And in the New Testament, we have clarity in that we see the goodness of this God who abounds in love, who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, quick to forgive. We see him in the face of this man from Nazareth. Yeah. Jesus, crucified, son of God and son of man. Yeah. uh, Who has been endowed with this kingship over this kingdom to reveal to us this God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so. and, and it's something almost kind of different then. Um, mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of kind of pushing of reading Jesus into the Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? but it's actually reading Jesus out of the Old Testament. Yes, right? that, that's like, totally right. Actually, who is the revealed Jesus as we find the revealed God of the Old Testament? And yeah. how is it being more clarified? Yeah through Jesus, rather than how do we just kind of put Jesus into that situation in the Old Testament and then right. find out what happened or what should happen Where, Where's there, the right? secret hidden Jesus? I yeah. I dig for this to try and find him. Like, right. You'd think we would be better at seeing Jesus? I mean, we, we, we call ourselves Christian. Yeah. We, we have actually gotten very poor as the church in seeing Jesus. I hear it often in what we call our preaching. Um, and I, I think this becomes one of those problems that's even being addressed. So if, if our preaching, even from the New Testament, only treats Jesus almost as a character, like a background character towards how I need to be or who right, I need to be. Right, How, how we, I get how, saved. Yeah. yeah, how am I supposed to ever then find Jesus, see the glory of God in Jesus in the Old Testament? Yeah. How would I ever see that if I can't even see it in the New Testament? Right. In the gospel tradition, how am I supposed to see this in a book like Jonah? Yeah, which, which I think we find kind of really made clearly important in the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. And yes. this chapter that will always, whenever I ask like my students, like, oh, define faith. It's like, all right, it's Hebrews 11, 1. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, it's Hebrews. If you're going to go there, you have to go all the way through Hebrews, mm-hmm. like, all, and especially all the way through Hebrews 11, mm-hmm. because faith is a constant discussion right. in the book of Hebrews. And then you get this list of Old Testament characters who understand the revelation of God in a way that is pre-Jesus. Mm-hmm. But yes. it is showing the glory of God yeah. in this way, and faith we don't. Is a, yeah, faith is a persistent following of God right. in His faithfulness. Yeah, and if we didn't have all those stories of the Old Testament, that list in Hebrews eleven would be nothing to us. Yeah, they just become names that pop up and they go away, and we can just go, okay. Yeah. Right. Because I've got everything I need. I've got everything I need in the Gospels and in right. Paul. Yeah. Right. Maybe James, if we're going to get really... I always, I love how N.T. Wright says it. You, you, you can't actually understand the New Testament if you don't understand the Old Testament. Um, you can only imagine that you're understanding Jesus or Paul or what, what's going on by the Spirit. You, you really can't without indwelling the scriptures revealed to Israel first, yeah. inherited by the church, taken up by the church, because in these we see the testimony of this God 
who's made himself known in this man, Jesus. Yeah, which sometimes the testimony of that God is misunderstood by the people. Yes. Which, which I am constantly encouraging my students to kind of read that and recognize that what God doesn't demand is perfection in understanding mm. God. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I see, you see Jesus, he's speaking about the kingdom. What does the kingdom look like? Right. What is the what does the reign of God look like? Um, and they they had imagined that it was a very particular way of following these covenant stipulations. Yeah. They didn't want to go into exile again, as they had way back under the Babylonians in five eighty six or seven twenties, uh, the northern kingdom. So how do they avoid that? How do we how do we uh, keep from returning to exile, even as we're still sort of in exile, These, this Israel and Jesus day. Right. So Jesus seems to be addressing that. What is my kingdom? What does the Father's kingdom look like? Hmm. It, it actually looks like the very point of the Torah, rather than the letter of the Torah, where you always right. find ways to fudge it. I mean, right. you always find ways to get around it, manipulate it, which is exactly what folks were doing. And Jesus says, yeah, that seems to miss the very heart of the Torah, which was to reveal the God of Israel who desires life and blessing for his people, goodness, uh, fruitfulness. He longs for that. But he knows people who will walk in their own ways uh, will destroy themselves. Yeah. The rescue from self-destruction. Um is really what he's doing. Uh, he will give people over to that, but he desires to rescue from that. The dichotomy yet again kind of shown in the story of Jonah. Yeah. Right? If that is the revealed person of God that we see in Torah, then how we engage and enact in that reality is based on who that revealed God is. Yeah. In the same way that in Nineveh, their revealed gods was this power and corruption and drunkenness and and everything, that the Lord hears the cries of the people who are oppressed. Yeah. Right? Um, it's that very thing. Mm. And that revelation, I, I I, don't like to use this word sometimes because it gets misconstrued, becomes progressive for the people. Mm. Right? And right. and it's being clarified and made more more revealed, but you can't understand that, that clarification without understanding what mm. it's being clarified from. Right? Right? Like... Otherwise, it's just the starting point, but it's right. not the starting point. Just like Hinty Wright talks the starting about, point. not at all. Uh, that the starting point is is the problem with us. That mm-hmm. if we don't have, if we don't see the starting point to begin with, we tend to actually go right back to that starting point again, yeah. and we kind of mess it up yet again. Right? Um, I love it. I I feel like we could talk about so much more. Uh, I want to ask you some like questions that would just take us into wild places. Uh, and there's <laughs> so time. there's so many of them with the Old Testament for sure. Maybe yeah. we'll have have you uh, come back again That'd be great. And, and do that. Um, but let our uh, listeners know where they can connect with you. And uh, I know you've got some books coming out soon yeah. that they definitely need to pick up and... Uh, well, they, and they're certainly not for just every audience. I got three books coming out within the next year uh, at various stages of being finalized. I'm still waiting to get proofs back for one of them uh, that that is a, uh, a book honoring a former professor of mine uh, just called Community, Biblical and Theological Reflections. It'll mm. come out with uh, McMaster Divinity Press. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, it's a collection of essays. Uh, and then I've uh, I've got uh, a book coming out on Pentecostal theological education in the majority world. Hmm. So that, that's actually a multi-volume series. Uh, yeah. this volume one is coming out dealing with graduate studies. So what do we do to rethink the way that we're doing graduate studies uh, in higher education globally uh, as Pentecostals? What does that look like? How yeah. can we do this better? Uh, and we'll, we'll have some companion volumes coming out dealing with undergraduate focus and even, you know, institute, church-based. Yeah. Um, so trying to think think of what does that look like in this world. Um, and then I've got a, a, a collection of essays coming out on early Pentecostal readings of Scripture and theology, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort yeah. of birthed out of last year's Society for Pentecostal Studies uh, meeting, uh, co-editing that with a couple of friends. Um, which is always interesting, co-editing with friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's a good testing of friendship, but it's it's fun to be able to do projects together. Uh, so. Dr. Archer and I just did, you know, something similar, how Pentecostals read yes. uh, the Bible uh, in an ecumenical text about uh, 10 different Christian traditions. Um, always fun. Always fun. Always it's a fun great experience. To work with friends uh-huh. <laughs> in writing. Yeah. Who gets to write? Who yes. gets to edit? Who does what? Who does, yeah. yeah, it's good if you have a good mix of gifts and you allow each other to exercise those gifts. <laughs> uh, yeah, if people are looking to connect, I'm always happy to connect. Um, wadholm at gmail. If you want to email me, just, just shoot me up that way. Otherwise, social if you, media. If you think he's a heretic yeah. and needs to really rail for a while on his heresy, it, there, there you go. Yeah, that's right. Just just let me really have it. Uh, it's <laughs> it's all good. Uh, otherwise, social media, I'm on all sorts of different platforms. RickWadholmJr.com or, or sorry, RickWadholmJr.whatever. Yeah. Uh, whether Facebook, Twitter, Insta, whatever. Um, do you have a dot com? I I do. Yeah, it's actually just wadhome.com. Wow. Uh, it's my look my website, and I blog there not regularly enough. I, I post links also to my books, so you can purchase them through Amazon, anything that I've contributed to or uh, has been published. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been my distinct pleasure to see you uh, here yeah. and uh, to chat with you. I'll get to see you in a couple months in California at a conference. Looking forward to it. Uh, I'll definitely come heckle you in your paper, whatever you're yes, presenting. I've got uh, a couple of them. Good. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm not presenting this year, so I'll just come heckle you and I'll be presentations. Give you one of mine. Uh, I'll take it. Thanks. <laughs> uh, but thanks again so much for being with us. We'll chat soon. Thank you. Thank you.